Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 268 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And we want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever before, knowing the right tools will make all of the difference. As I like to say at the start of, I guess, all of our podcasts in 2020, it seems, what a difference another week or two makes. And the big changes and events just keep rolling along. In our last episode, we had a fantastic interview guest, Kelly Palmer, Chief Learning Officer of Degreed and co-author of the excellent book called The Expertise Economy. Lots of great stuff in that episode, and I highly recommend it. In this episode, we want to return to our second brain project, which has actually gotten a lot of interest from from listeners. And uh, we started that in episode 263, if you want to go back to that. And uh, we thought we'd give you some progress updates. So, Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be giving you an update on our second brain project, uh, where we're going to discuss how we'll be capturing information for our respective second brains. In our second segment, we uh, decided that we had to discuss the widely reported advancements in artificial intelligence coming with a new tool called GPT-3. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, a return to our second brain project. As you may recall from our last second brain episode, we were talking about what we consider to be the very first step in establishing that second brain, which is capture. And more specifically, the types of things that we want to capture for our second brain, whether it's websites, documents, social media, podcasts, books, articles, whatever. But that, I, I kept coming up with this during the podcast, and, and I, want, I knew we wanted to have a part two to talk about it, because that really brings, that's the what, but it brings us to the second part, how we plan on capturing that information to get into it. And I think that we're going to, it's going to ultimately get us to the where it's going to go, but I think first we need to figure out how we get that stuff into where we're putting it. Dennis, are you ready to announce the tools that we've, you've already decided on? First of all, whoa, let's talk about how much harder this is than I expected. So I actually have uh, really held off uh, kind of surprisingly for me on on going to the tools because and, and instead I found myself going back to first principles. And those are things like begin with the end in mind, 
jobs to be done. And I've even uh, considered uh, using and started to use the value proposition canvas, which is is something that I like to kind of clarify my thinking and what I really want to happen with the second brain notion, but with this phase of it, especially. And I don't know, for me, it sort of comes back to uh, the question I'm meditating on these days is, if this is really successful, what does this actually look like? So what does success look like? So we'll talk about tools time, but that's sort of where I am, sort of back to basics. Well, so then let's follow that thread and say, what does success look like to you? I mean, is are, are you ready to talk about that? Because for me, the how is really about we we've talked about the what we've we've you know ideally our listeners, you and I, we've already decided the types of things we want to capture, and the how to me is largely about the tools. But I agree with you. So what's what's the end result? What is what does success look like as part of the how for you anyway? Well, I think that for me, two pieces there there are going to be to this. And so one is that I would like to say like everything that I think that I want to capture in whatever format I'm actually able to get in a simple kind of way. So there aren't, you know, big pieces left out because it's too hard. And I don't say, look, I have uh, a notebook here. I have uh, some post-it notes here. I have some some other things here, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it, that everything that I think goes into the second brain can go into it. So there is this sort of universality and there aren't missing pieces of it. Second piece is something I, I sometimes forget, but I always come back to is, is to say, is there an 80-20 approach that actually makes sense? Do I have to figure out how to get everything at the beginning or can I get enough, the 80%, that uh, with 20% of the, the effort, the total effort, to say like this is going to do it this is going to get me started and then I can I can fold in some other things later so those those two concepts sort of sort of universality and this this sort of ease and good enough approach is is kind of where I'm at and and I think that's sort of really um, helping me to think about the tools well and I think so to me when when I hear you say that I think you said ease. I think simple. I am going to be a big proponent that whatever your second brain becomes, it should be one place or not more than two places. I, that's, that's kind of where I'm struggling. And when we get to the next phase of this, kind of the where, then we'll talk a little bit more about how I've been sort of struggling between one and two different places because there are benefits to both. But let's assume that it's the one place. The, the, the real question, and this is going to be an individual answer for most people, is once you decide, deciding on that place ahead of time is going to be a factor that's going to, or at least having some idea in mind of where you want things to go will be a factor because when it comes time to capture, you're going to want to say, okay, what are the types of things that I usually consume? All right, I, I read books. I want to make sure that anything that I read on my ebook reader gets into my second brain. And so I need to make sure that there's a way 
to get there, a path to get there from where I am. Or I read these articles, I want to get that in there. Or I found a, a nice thread on Twitter that I want to save to have somebody, I want to be able to save that tweet thread or I want to save that website here. So being able to have an easy way with just a few clicks of a button, you can then get that information through to where your second brain is. To me, that is the goal that we all should be headed for, that simplicity, the ease of use, so that it is, if not automated, it's at least, it should at least not change or significantly modify the way that you're consuming information. It's just, I see something I like, I click a button, and what I like goes away to where it needs to go. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about looking at these capture tools. Yeah, in a, in a way, I kind of flip your thinking a little bit, because there's a part of me that says, I don't really care if it's like one, two, ten different places. I think it's a little more efficient, obviously, to have it in, in one or two places. But as long as I can get to stuff, I don't really care that it's stored in the background in different places. But it's sort of getting the information in. And so it's sort of that, can I just click once? That's ideal. Uh, can I click twice? Less ideal. Can I do something where I say, hey, there's these email newsletters I get that uh, I don't get around to to reading as much as I, th I think I'm going to? And can I have a rule or something that automatically throws them into the second brain? And so what can I do to kind of simplify getting things in versus where it goes? Although I, I'm with you, I think in terms of efficiency, I would want it in one or two places, but ultimately I don't care if that's hidden from me in how many different places it is, but my ability to access it feels like I'm looking at one place. So it's a little bit of a difference. Well, well, you and I can have a further discussion on how you plan to search all of those 10 locations at once when we get to the search part of the, uh, the second brain, because I will be interested to know what search tools you have to search across the 10 different cloud platforms that you plan on using to store things. I'm waiting for future developments, right? Okay, so all right. So this is technology your, this is gets better and, and better. Playing the uh, yeah, playing, playing the long game here. I, <laughs> yes. I, I see. Okay, that's fair. Well, it'll take us a while to get this established. So we're we're kind of hoping that technology advances will will help us out okay. a, a little bit. So we have some criteria. We've got some criteria that we're thinking about, the things that we're keeping in mind before we get to that point. Does that bring us to the tools or is there a further step before we get there? I think it's close. But what I found is I started to think about how this is going to work. And I've, I've talked to some different people and they say, oh, the second brain, here's what it should do. And here's how I'm thinking of it. And aren't you thinking of it like this? And I, and I say, no, that's not exactly what I have in mind. I, I, I said, I see how that makes sense for you. And the concept I keep coming back to is wikis, believe it or not. To go, it's almost like going into the Wayback Machine of the Internet and in like a personal wiki because I, I say, well, I want these links and I want information sort of organized in some ways and it needs to be really simple and it just feels like a wiki concept to me. And so that's that's what I'm thinking of. And that could just end up being a conceptual notion. 
um, that there's some organization, the ability to drill down into it and things are linked and it's, it's kind of simple um, in the way that it's done. So, so that's, that's what I'm thinking. And, and, and just with some ease and automation on, on the back end. And then as I've looked at uh, the tool, and this will kind of get us a little closer to the tools, as I've looked at Notion, which is why I've been giving a, a lot of thought to and using it in some other contexts, I'm like, this is kind of, Notion is kind of like the personal wiki with, with like a super nice interface. And so that leads me to think, although this is not the the capture that may be the vehicle, or at least one of the vehicles for my second brain will be will be Notion, and that will get me in the realm of a personal wiki, which could be something that doesn't make sense to other people, but for me, that's starting to make sense. So I very much like Notion. We're going to talk about Notion a lot more in upcoming episodes. But I'm not sure I completely agree with you on the personal wiki that Notion is that because I, and, and I want to talk in upcoming episodes about the idea of something that I've read on the Internet that has resonated with me is that some second brains are designed for architects, some second brains are designed for gardeners, and some are designed for librarians. I think Notion is very much an architect's tool. And I view some other tools as probably being better at the second wiki than Notion would be, or excuse me, the personal wiki that you described than Notion would be. But getting stuff in there is harder than it is in getting into Notion. So there's going to be some trade-offs here. There's going to be some things that we decide that we trade off because we like certain features more than anything else. And I think that's going to be part of our decision process as as we as I, at least as I go along. I'm going to have to make some trade-offs based on what I ultimately want out of the tool because I think that none of these is perfect. None of these will get us everything we're looking for, and we're just going to. I think eighty twenty is going to be kind of uh, a a good rule of thumb when we're deciding on where ultimately everything winds up being. Well, and it's sort of the stack notion too, because I think that as we looked at, uh, so that you can find a lot of stuff out there by a guy named Diego Forte about second brain. And his approach really, as I looked at it, I said, well, he's creating something that needs to be a component of second brain. But to me, OmniFocus does basically everything that in his approach to second brains. And that made me realize like, oh, I'm not sure that Notion needs to be everything. It may be this sort of parallel stack where there's an OmniFocus stack or in your case, Todoist or some for somebody else could be Outlook or some other thing where you say, well, in terms of the to-do piece, the activities, the calendaring, that kind of is a different thing that kind of connects in some ways. And and I think that's, for me, that was a helpful way to start thinking about tools to say, why create something in a new tool when I already have something that works incredibly well for me? So then that makes me think in terms of how do I integrate the, those tools will become an important thing for me. I've actually been following Tiago Forte for a while. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Because I really don't view kind of the 
OmniFocus slash Todoist slash Outlook stack as being stuff that he advocates. He's a huge proponent of Evernote. He, in fact, is so much into Evernote that he is hesitant to using other things. But Evernote for him is his second brain. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I don't think that he, I don't, I mean, he, he is very much also, he has adapted David Allen's Getting Things Done methodology into Evernote, but he's not really using other tools, or at least he doesn't talk about using other tools. And to be real honest, I don't view Todoist or OmniFocus or anything as as really having true relevance to any of this. Now, I will tell you that where it, when it comes to Notion, there are many capabilities of Notion that could potentially mean that you don't have to use OmniFocus or Todoist again. I'm not a fan of that right now. I don't think I want to do that, but there there are ways to, to, to do that. But I, I I think that for those of you, just so if you're going to go look, I'm going to put a, a link in the, in the show notes to Tiago's website on building a second brain. Just want to make sure that I don't think that, I don't think that he's really into think, talking about those things as much as he is talking about using Evernote and he's hot and heavy on Evernote. So that's... Yeah, I mean, so what I would say is that for me, OmniFocus is when you come to the action part of the second brain, where you talk about here are projects and there are steps in these projects and I need to decide priorities and, you know, get them on the calendar and stuff. I don't really want to recreate that in Notion or Evernote or any place else. I, I have a tool in OmniFocus that does all that for me. And I think I can move when it comes to action, right? So this is talking about action and action can mean scheduling yep. to say this this makes sense. I may move away from that, but that's that was sort of my original reaction. And that's partly because the the videos I watched were talking about you know, projects and other things like that. And I go, I, got, I have that covered in what I'm doing and I'm going to focus. And I don't think we're ever going to suggest anything otherwise because I don't think that any of the tools we're talking about are good for action. I mean, I guess Notion could be used for that, but I'm struggling to say that I want to move from what I'm currently using with Todoist to do something like that. I, I, I may run, I may manage projects out of it, but not task management which I think Todoist is much superior to. So we, I think we have time to talk about that on another podcast. So oh, yeah, I think that's definitely. probably a better, a better thing there. So maybe let's spend the, what little time we have left in the segment actually talking about the tools that we're going to talk about. Do you want to get started first and think about some of the things you've been thinking about? Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking in terms of categories. So this is going to be, uh, and I think there's two for me. And, I, and so one is, is the Clipper which can be Web Clipper. So Evernote, OneNote, uh, other places have the ability to, to take something you see on the web and throw it into, into Evernote or, or OneNote. So you're essentially clipping the page uh, that you, you find on the web. So that Clipper notion becomes really important is, is basically just think of it as, I, you know, back in the ancient days of, of books that you're, or newspapers that you, you find an article like and you cut it out and then you store it somewhere. So I think that's an important notion that you need to consider. And there's a lot of a lot of those things out there 
the next thing I would say, and this is kind of, to me, starting to be similar, I would call it the send to function. So you see this in a lot of apps and a lot of programs where you can, to me, it's like the little square that has an arrow on it at the top of it is how I think of it. And it will allow you to take things and say, here's something I found and I can send it to whatever you know, Microsoft Teams, OneNote, other things like that. So so that send to notion, which is kind of an API function, so it allows you to send into another program. I think that is another tool um, that I'm going to use. And then I'm also looking, um, and this is all conceptual at this point, but I've, I've used this with Text Expander, and I'm looking at Keyboard Maestro on the Mac to say, can I do some simple scripting that will allow me to capture something, maybe minimally tag it, and then send it to where it needs to go, but it'd be sort of on my computer. As a, so as it'd be doing clipping, but not, basically where there isn't a clipping tool available. And it would take just a little bit of, of scripting programming to do. So those are sort of the three tools I'm looking at. It's Some of it's just going to be based on other decisions that I make, but those are typically the things I'm starting to use now. So for me, I think what you're right, uh, what I call, what you call the send function, I think te- technically is they call the share sheet for both iOS and Android. With Android, it looks a little bit more like um, some br- a branching off of, of branches rather than a, a little box with an arrow coming out from it. But I think that, that both iOS and Android have the share function and I make significant use of that, whether I'm on my phone or on my iPad or, or anywhere where if there's, if there's an ability to share, I am doing that with the apps that I'm sharing too. So that's, that's probably where I share from Twitter, where I share from Feedly when I'm reading the news. If I'm on my phone and I see a news story that I want to share, I'm using that function all the time. So that's one, one use that I'm making. And frankly, it's, it's, it's powerful because it then lets you use whatever tools you've decided to use to further get things into your second brain. So one of the tools that I use a lot these days is that I was looking for a collaborative social bookmark manager. And the one that Dennis and I both use, the one that I've used quite a bit these days is called raindrop.io. I like it. It's cloud-based. It's very easy to use. But what I like about it most is that it has the ability to share a collection of bookmarks with somebody. So I've been putting together a list of collaboration tools that I'm going to share with, with with, with everybody at some point so that people can kind of have a running directory of collaboration tools to look at. But that's where I park a lot of websites that I want to go back and review later. I'll just share that to raindrop.io and then I go back at my leisure on the weekends or something and see if there's anything there that I want to, to keep longer. Um, the other two apps, the other one I'm using a lot, one I can't use yet because it's not available for uh, for Android, but the one that I love the, the most right now is an app called Readwise. Readwise is an app that allows you to take highlights of the text that you read and send it to different places. It was originally designed as what they call sort of a progressive summarization or spaced repetition program to where when you would highlight things from documents, it would you can open up the app and it will surface your highlights just at random so that you can remember things. It, it, it assumes that when you read a book or you read an article, you forget what you read and 
coming back to things in a spaced way helps you to retain it and to learn more about it. Where they've expanded is you can now highlight something in, for example, your Kindle book. I'm reading a book on Kindle. I highlight some text. It automatically syncs with the Readwise program. And I can now view all of my Kindle highlights in Readwise. But what's also nice, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is it now is automatically sending all of those highlights into Notion. It will also do that into Evernote. It sends them, it syncs automatically with both Notion and Evernote and will send all of your highlights over there. So for me, I'd say I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably showing you signaling where I'm headed for part of my second brain is getting it directly into Notion. I can do that with my Kindle highlights. I'm saving articles in Instapaper and I, and everything from articles is going straight into Notion. You can save tweets and tweet threads in there. There are a number of different things, but to me, that's it's a magical tool. The fact that it is just highlight something and the minute that you highlight it, it is automatically published all the way through to me is one of the, one of the best tools that I'm using right now. The one that I want to use and the one that I think Dennis and I have talked about as being a real challenge is podcasts and how to actually capture or remember information from podcasts that we find useful. I don't want to save the whole podcast. I don't want to have to listen to everything to figure out where it is. There's a new app out there called Air, A-I-R-R. Right now, it's only available for iOS. So if you've got iOS and you want to give it a shot, go look at it. I can't wait to use it on Android, but it allows you to highlight and save off parts of a podcast. And it works through Readwise as well. So that means that it can be saved into either Evernote or Notion. But you can also just publish it to a blog or to another website or anything that you want. So it's a very nice kind of clear way of clipping podcasts. There are a couple other apps out there that will clip from podcasts, but I haven't seen anything that does it in quite this way. I really think this is the most efficient and best way. And they tell me they're coming out with an Android version, so I I really can't wait to try it out. Those are the tools I'm using. Dennis, do we want to kind of wrap up with some, what are we going to do moving forward, uh, at least until we get to the next installment of this series? Yeah, one one other thought on podcasts. I sent you a link to a podcast before the recording tonight, and I noticed in in Overcast that uh, there was now a a menu item that said share clip. So I I haven't had the chance to look at that. So I expect we'll see some more of that. So I I think to wrap up for me, it's like I, again I'm just seeing there's a lot of work to be done. I think this the notion of establishing some categories and some types of tools. Because a lot of this stuff, the notion of clipping is actually really helpful. And you can say, here's some things and are there tools and maybe even using the search, you know, clipping in the search terms will help you surface something. So I I think there are a, a few things out there. And, and uh, Tom, like you said, you, we found some some interesting things already. Like I'm. I'm intrigued by Readwise. I realize I, I need to go to Instapaper, which is something that I've resisted for a while, but I think it does make sense. So you're looking for those, and then you would say one of the pieces is missing, and what we're talking about is video. So, again, if it's important to you, you're going you're gonna to try to figure out some ways to do that as well. 
And I think that really what I'm going to be doing before we are, our, our next segment in this is really going to be about the organization is once we've captured things, how do we organize it so that we can find it, surface it so we can get back to it? That's getting more to the where. We're getting more into the idea of the where. And so that's kind of what my, my work is going to be is to kind of keep working with the tools that I'm kind of thinking about and learning more about them and seeing how getting information into them is working. And so expect uh, both Dennis and I to be ready to talk about these things probably in the next couple of weeks uh, when we bring our next segment in this series. So look forward to that. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. So there's been a lot of talk out there in the last, uh, I don't know, week or two about a new development in artificial intelligence. It's called GPT-3. And some people think that it might be a game changer. I, of course, could not be more excited. And I'm ready to jump in in whatever way I can. I even have it penciled in as part of my second brain toolbox, if I can figure out a way to do that. And uh, Tom, of course, is uh, as always, is a bit more circumstantial respect in some of these new things than, than I am. So, Tom, do you want to start us off on GPT-3 and what all the buzz is? Well, I'm very interested to know how you ex- intend to use this as part of your second brain toolbox. So I'm looking forward to more information on that. I, I've really wanted to talk about this because this came, this popped out of nowhere and it was a very hot topic for two to three weeks. And then since then, there hasn't been a lot about it. So I'm interested in why everybody was at least briefly obsessed with it and why, in my opinion, it's not ready for prime time quite yet and what we think you should be thinking about in the meantime. I think that's what we wanted to talk about. So real quick, I'll give more of the background and let Dennis give a little bit more on, a little more meat on the bones. Back in May of 2020, the a research company that's backed by a lot of big people, a lot of big companies called OpenAI, they released a paper on this new artificial intelligence called GPT-3, which is what they consider to be the next iteration of a of a text generation neural network, which is a way of saying a system that recognizes patterns and displays that knowledge through the generation of text. This new model has 175 billion parameters that was trained on 500 billion words. The previous model, the GPT-2 model, was only trained on 1.5 billion parameters, so 100 times more powerful, way more advanced artificial intelligence. 
So for example, you feed it, you, you can feed it a sentence about, for example, a species of talking unicorns found in the Andes, and it will produce an entire news article on the story that actually makes sense. It does this because it's, it is trained to predict what words are coming next in a sentence given the prior context that it's seeing. We'll put a link in the show notes, but in in no time, people were building these little simple apps that would use GPT-3 to do stuff that was just amazing. Somebody would feed it a page from it from a, a manual on, um, I think it was on, on online conferences, and it came back with a strategy for how to develop those conferences that, not perfect, but still made sense. One analogy that I saw that I thought was really interesting was that the iPhone, phone put the world's knowledge in your pocket and GPT-3 provides 10,000 PhDs that are willing to converse with you on any of the topics on your iPhone. I think it still has some work. You know, one of the tests for artificial intelligence is whether it can pass a Turing test. Can you ask it questions where you can't tell if the answer is coming from a human or a computer. Um, for example, with GPT-3, if you ask it the question, how many rainbows does it take to jump from Hawaii to 17, a nonsense question, it answers two. So clearly, it tries to answer a question when it knows that there's like n- no possible answer. I think it's still susceptible to the same bias problems as other artificial intelligences. Whoever feeds it that information is going to feed it any biases that come along with the person. I think that there are going to be significant issues with deepfakes. If it can be trained to post content on websites all over the internet with false information, but credibly written based on articles or comments that it's responding to, I think that there's a lot of issues there. I think that there's a lot of potential application for legal. Obviously, we saw a lot of articles on what does this mean, the end of lawyers again, because that's what everybody thinks about when we think about artificial intelligence. I think that because of its capabilities for conversation, there are a lot of chatbot opportunities that can be used here, better chatbots than are being used these days, I think can be used in a lot of access to justice applications that are out there. Eventually, it might mean that standard contract clauses, research paper topics could be assigned to an AI tool. Obviously, though, there's a legal issue. It has to be legally accurate. So um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that whatever this tool spits out is legally accurate. I'm going to go with the majority of the people looking at it right now and say, very exciting. I'm very excited to see where it goes, but it still has a ways to go. And so, Dennis, remind us, how are you planning on making this part of your second brain again? I'm going to get to that. It's a text predictor. It's, as Tom says, it's orders of magnitude more advanced. And there's some really significant achievements in, in this than what we've, what we've seen before. They trained it on text. And uh, I was listening to this podcast where the guest was saying that the most amazing things he's seen is being trained on text. It can do all sorts of, uh, let's call it two-digit mathematical calculations. So it can say, you know, 23 plus 57 is, is 80. And it wasn't really trained to do math and numbers. Now, it can't do, like, uh, as I said, it can't do four-digit math and addition. But the fact that it learned how to do math problems, only being trained on text, is, is actually really exciting. So... You look at it that way, and then I, I, uh, I think that it points the path to me to, uh, although people talk about general artificial intelligence, 
that I think this is really leads us toward the specialty artificial intelligence, where you can again, it's like the eighty twenty thing, and you can say, what can this do? Like not figure out like, oh, here are all the things it can't do, uh, because what some of these examples I've seen are amazing, and they, the podcast I sent to Tom tonight was a four minute podcast that was uh, generated using GPT three, and it was an interview with Ada. Lovelace, uh, who hasn't been around for 20 years. And it was a little stilted, but actually it made sense the whole way through as as an interview. Um, in fact, that, you know, sometimes if you're watching news shows these days, I would say that this interview made a lot more sense than, than some of the talking heads I see being interviewed on, on TV. So that's interesting. Lots of promise, and it's you know, built on some APIs because uh, it would, you know, so you connect and figure out ways to, to use it. So, Tom, here's what I'm thinking, because I think this is a couple of years down the line. But if I could use GPT-3 to start to predict the things that I was, you know, I say, I'm, I want to work on this and want to pull together this information about this topic. And it could generate something for me to use and maybe even incorporate some of the things that I've found that may not be possible in, in this iteration and it may not even be necessary from the, the way it's been trained. But that to me is is really promising. So if I can say like, hey, I just need, I want to learn just an overview of a topic and it can generate it to me. That's a fantastic use uh, of my second brain, even if it's not relying necessarily on the stuff I've collected, it, just to give me that overview. So I think if we kind of pull back from saying like does it have to be perfect i think this is like another case of like the perfect is the en- uh, is the enemy of the good and i'm just really excited about the the potential of this so just got to figure out a way to use it so now it's time for our parting shots that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends top take it away Two parting shots from me this time. I have been um, looking at modifying the lighting that I have for videos that I'm doing, for other things that I'm going to be doing, and I've I've come upon one that I really like. I need to play with it some more to make sure that I get it right. It's called the Key Light Air from a company called Elgato. Um, they were out of stock for a while. They're back in stock now. What I like about it is is that it is a um, you can buy more than one, but um, it comes on a stand, which means it's it's portable. You can move it around anywhere you want to, and the stand is adjustable. It can go as high or as low as you want it to go. And then the lighting is configurable through an app that's on your computer, so you can adjust the color, the brightness, everything. It can go from very bright and very blue to or very white and hot to very blue and very very dark. I really like it a lot. Um, I'm going to play around with it and see if I can get it to work for a lot of, for more of my videos or just meetings when it's too dark in the room. The other one is Pure Relaxation, and I'm totally addicted to this site. It's called Drive and Listen. I'll put a link in the show notes, and someone has gone onto YouTube and found driving tours of some of the major cities in the world and posted them along with live radio stations from those cities. So you click on Amsterdam, and suddenly you're driving in the backseat of a car in Amsterdam listening to music from a, an Amsterdam radio station, and you can go to Beijing or to Johannesburg 
Johannesburg or to a place in the Swiss Alps. It is so interesting and relaxing to just sit there and watch the scenery go by that I just spent an hour there without even without even worrying about my time. So if you need a little bit of relaxation and you're down because we're not getting a, uh, getting to take the vacations that we have been taking in the past, uh, give a look at Drive and Listen. Dennis. So mine is called uh, qprompter.com, so C-U-E, prompter. So I've been looking at uh, doing some videos and wanting to do a teleprompter, but I didn't want to do like a whole teleprompter uh, setup until I decided I was that committed to it. And I actually didn't want to pay $40 for a teleprompter uh, app either. So I found this site, qprompter.com, which allows me to paste in some text. It's, it's just simple teleprompter. It doesn't have the sophistication of other tools and, you know, all these nuances and self-starting, but it just, you can just pick, you can copy your text in, run the text at a pace that, that works for you, put it up on your screen. And then if you configure your, your cameras in the right way, it will, you can just use a teleprompter. It will look like you're looking right into the, to the camera. And until you decide whether you like teleprompters or not, or you want to invest money into it, free is always good. And it seems super workable. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. Remember, we do like to get questions for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6800. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.